consistently we commit to serve creatively and finally we communicate Christ's love compassionately Pastor Andre feed me this word come on if you feel like you're going to be fed you are welcome to make some more noise praise the Lord you online you are welcome to get in the comments and make noise however you do it but we are grateful for another opportunity to share to you the sheep of God. The Bible says through Solomon that the people of God were a great people. And I truly believe you are a great people, both you in the building and you online. So we're going to just uh, jump right into the title. Last week, we talked about biblical black history. And this week, we are going to come right behind that. And today's title is biblical black history Two, part and so I'll show you how we're going to lay it out and it will help you uh, to understand. So it's going to be laid out in this fashion. So number one, we will flash a photo up. If you happen to know the photo, when we flash it up, you're more than welcome to yell out uh, their name. And then number two, we will give facts about that photo. Then number three, we will give you a quote from that person. And then number four, we will give you scriptures behind the quote. Because each one of these people that we are uh, elevating out, they are have, a, have and had a relationship with God. One of the things that is sad is that when certain leaders and heroes, when their story is retold in history, they sometimes take away their relationship with God. 
but if you study them, you will find that many of them had great relationship with God, and they were not afraid to speak of it. And so what we're going to do, we're going to take some of their quotes, some of their famous quotes, some of their unknown quotes, and then we're going to tie them into Scripture. Now, even though we are talking about black history, you're going to figure out and you're going to catch somewhere in the sermon, you're going to start seeing a theme developing. And so the major point that we will be leaving you with will not necessarily be black history. There will be something else that we'll be leaving you with, but I'm going to let you figure it out on your own. But I believe you Bible scholars are going to catch it as we begin to lay it out. You're going to figure out where the sermon is really heading and how we will end. All right, so photo, facts, quote, and scripture. All right, now bringing up the first photo. And this would probably be hard for anybody to, to, to know who it is because of the positioning of the photo and because of the, his head being down. But this is George Washington Carver. And so we're going to uh, just uh, bring up George Washington Carver facts. And uh, I'm going to lay out just a few facts. And then what we will do is then we will move on. So if, if you look behind George Washington Carver facts, you will see that there is a map of the world that is in orange. And I've done that on purpose because black history has affected the entire world. It, it, it is a history that is often not talked about, but the people had ramifications over the entire world because especially the people I'm going to bring up, they had relationship with God. And I must say this to you, when you have relationship with God, even though you live in Muncie, your testimony and your life is not confined to Muncie because you are bigger than just your location because you serve the God of the universe. And when God works in your life and through your life, the atmospheres around you shift and change because of you. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers and darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. So you're more than what the devil told you. You're more than what your addiction told you. You're more than what your depression told you. You're more than what the divorce told you. Because you have a relationship with God, you are somebody in the earth. Amen. That's just not in the message. I just throw that out there so you would understand why we have the world behind. Because you are making a difference in the world. Somebody say, I'm making a difference. In the world. All right, let's jump into some facts from George Washington Carver. Now, I must say to you that when I give the facts, I'm going to do uh, not necessarily a poor job, but not a thorough job, because I can't give you facts about all of them. So I'm going to give you like what I would call shotgun facts, just some quick things for you to pick up on. But I won't spend a lot of time on that, because that won't be necessarily my focus. My focus will be on their quote, and then the scriptures that we're going to tie into their quote. So let me give you just a few facts. George Washington Carver was born into slavery in the early 1860s, just before slavery was abolished in the aftermath of the Civil War. The next point, he became the first black student to study at Iowa State University and became a professor at Tuskegee University in Alabama. He's known for his scientific work as it relates to the peanut, but there was many other things that he did. So let's go to this quote. His quote is this, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we will only tune in. George Washington Carver. 
So to him, nature spoke, but it didn't just speak random things. He, he wasn't one of these new age spiritual people who say, the universe talked to me. No, no, it ain't the universe. It's the God of the universe. And he believed that when he looked into nature, he could see the handiwork of God. I'm not here to talk about anybody, but people say we're crazy for believing in God and believing in creation. But if you look at creation, I say you're crazy to believe in evolution alone because the nature speaks of an intelligent design. I could talk a whole lot about that, but let me just go straight to scripture. Let's see what Psalms 19 and 1 says. Would you read it, Mother Mitchell? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. When you look up in the sky, sometimes you forget that that's a painting that God paints on the canvas of this earth every morning. There's a painting in the sky, and God does that because he controls everything. And the heavens declare the glory of God. Some uh, versions say the skies declare. So that means not just the day sky, but the night sky, the stars that hang in the sky. It declares God's glory. I know you may be able to say that a Big bang, bang this all together. But I'm here to tell you, there's a God that put these things together, that that knows what he's doing. He's greater than Picasso. He's greater than Da Vinci. He put a painting in the sky every day and every night. The heavens declare the glory of God. Let's move on. Let's look at how Job says it. Look Look at Job 12 and 7. But ask the animals, and they will teach you. Or the birds in the sky, and they will tell you. Read verse 8. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. Or let the fish in the sea inform you. Verse 9. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? I like what Job is saying. Job is saying many times the animals are smarter than we are. Because the birds know who created them. The the deers know who created them. The the, the lions know who created them. But somehow humans forget who is the controller of the world. And I want to be like the animals and say, God, I know you put breath in my body. God, I know you created me. God, I know you fashioned me. And because of that, I give you glory, God. Now, this is what's interesting. This was Job talking in the midst of his trial, in the midst of the worst thing that could ever happen. But he was yet saying, nature still tells me there's a God. And when you're in your low place, sometimes you may not find your breakthrough in church. You may not find your breakthrough in a gospel song. It might be a bird chirping that lifts your spirit. It it might be something in nature. But like George Washington Carver said, nature speaks and it lets us know there is a God somewhere. Let's, Let's read the final verse, verse 10. In his hand is the life of every creature. And the breath of all mankind. He got the whole world in his hand. He's got me and you in his hand. He holds life in his hand. Every creature he holds in his hands. Now this is very interesting. It's not really part of my sermon, but I'm going to take a quick rabbit trail. Knowing that he holds all creation and life in his hands. That shows me how merciful and gracious he is. Because at any moment he could squeeze and take somebody's life. 
but he's so gracious. He's so merciful. The Bible says he's not slow concerning his promise, but he's not willing that anybody should perish. I don't know about you, but there's been some times God should have crushed me. But instead of crushing me, he lifted me and he put breath in my body. And that's why every day you wake up, you can say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. All right, let's, let, let's keep on moving because I got a lot of these to get to. Let's, let's flash up another picture. Anybody recognize that one? Yeah, Alan, I was hoping you would get that one. Jackie, this is Jackie Robinson. Let's, let's give us a few uh, points about Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson broke baseball's color barrier when he played first base for the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1947. Though he faced persecution and abuse for playing the game he loved, he won the Rookie of the Year Award in 1947 and was the National League's most valuable player in 1949. Even though he was dogged and talked about and many horrible things happened to him, it didn't stop him from achieving success. One thing you got to understand, no demon and no devil can stop you when God has anointed you to accomplish something. You can talk about me, you can laugh at me, you can stab me in my back, but what God has for me, it is for me. It only took him two years to be the most valuable player of a league that many people didn't want him in. And by the time he showed up to the league, he was already in his latter years because he had been kept out so long. But when he showed through, when he broke through the barrier, he changed everything. I got to say this to somebody. Some of you have been on the back burner for a long time, and it doesn't seem like doors ever open for you. But he, let me tell you something. One once the door opens, don't you play games. You go through it and be the best, do the best, and make everybody mad that they passed over you, that they skipped over you. Be the best once you get there. My good friend, Charles Venerable, CA, we call him CA. We were talking several years ago when he was working at Stoops, and we were just talking about some things, and he said, he said, Pastor Andre, God spoke something to me. He said, until I open a door, work in the hallway. That has always stuck to me. If the door don't open, don't mean I'm going to stop working. I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to stay prayed up. I'm going to stay uh, locked in. I'm going to stay anointed. I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to keep serving. And once the door open, I'm going through with all of my force. All right, let's look at the quote that he says. Here's a quote. There's nothing like faith in God to help a fella who gets booted around once in a while, Jackie Robinson. In other words, he was saying, the reason why I was able to go through what I went through is not just because of my baseball prowess and my talent, it's because I had faith in God. And even if you kick me down, my faith in God will make me rise back up. Even if you talk about me, my faith in God won't let me quit. Even if you lie on me, my faith in God won't let me quit. It's something about having faith in God even in the worst of circumstances and situations. Let's, let, let, let's see if we can find a, a, a scripture for that. Read Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. Yeah, the name of the Lord 
is a strong tower. I would have given up. I would have fainted, but I had the name of the Lord. Not only did I have faith in God, but faith in God is faith in his name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess. And so I run into the name of the Lord. It's a strong tower. The, the, the connotation that they were giving in that context of that is the fact that when they would have uh, lookouts, lookouts would see ahead when the enemy was advancing and on the way. And so they would run and they would run into the tower where there was safety and they would try to alert the rest of the kingdom that trouble is on the way. And so they would run into a strong tower. Well, when a demon is on my tail chasing me, I know who I can run to. I know who I can turn to because the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Let's, let, let, let's read another one. Romans 8.31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? It didn't make a difference who's against me. That's not my focus. And sometimes people focus on all the people that are against them. But if God be for me. My faith is not in you, so if you turn against me, it won't mess up my journey because my hope is not in you. I say this all the time, but let me say it again. It's a quote from a, a song. I say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, the holy lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. If God be for me, and what I understand that it wasn't really if that Paul was saying, Paul was causing us to read if so that we can understand since. It's no longer if God be for me, but it's since God is with me. Because I've lived long enough. Maybe if I was four or five years old, I would still say if God be for me. But since I'm 45, I know since God is for me, nothing can keep me down. May have been booted around, may have been passed over, may have been talked about, but I know who's on my side. All right, let's, let's move on. Let's put another picture up there. Anybody recognize this one? Yell it out if you know. That's old Harriet Tubman. Let's put up some Harriet Tubman facts. She was somebody. I, I, I didn't uh, get to studying her until later in, in life, but I found a lot of amazing things. So let me give you just a few of her facts. Harriet Tubman was born into slavery in Maryland in 1822, but escaped in 1849, which means by the time she was 27, she had already escaped. She was the most famous of the conductors on the Underground Railroad, helping 70 slaves escape to freedom. Let's read on. She worked as a nurse and cook during the Civil War and also guided a raid which helped to liberate over 700 slaves. They said the majority of the slaves that got freedom came from the work of Harriet Tubman. And I wanted to bring her up because I didn't want to just talk about men, but there are women in our history that if it wasn't for them, our life would be absolutely, totally different. But Harriet Tubman also had a relationship with God. 
this is what they called her. The, the, she was known as Harriet Tubman to us, but what other people called her on the ground, they called her Moses because she was a deliverer. And because they would see supernatural things happen there. there, there there's, uh, there, there's actually a movie about it, but there's actually a couple stories to where she would walk into water. And the people who were chasing her would leave her alone because she had walked into water that would drown her and the slaves she had with her. But somehow, supernaturally, she would be over the other side. And the slave catchers looking at her were confused and they start calling her Moses because God would part waters and do supernatural things for them. And this is something that is so silly to me. People say that I don't know why those slaves believed in the white Jesus when they crossed over. No, they weren't believing in the white Jesus. They were believing in the supernatural power of God. You have to understand that if the slaves had not seen God, there's no way they would be free and then turn around and try to serve him. But the reason why they served him, because even though they got beat in the back, somehow they'd be healed quicker than they should have been healed. Even though things happened to them that were wrong, God supernaturally stepped in. They knew the God of the Bible, and the moment they got free, the first thing they wanted to do was find some church to worship the God that brought them out. And Harriet was one of those leaders. Let's, let's look at her quote. I like it because it's in that broken English. It says, I, was, I always told God, I'm going to hold steady on you, and you got to see me through. I, I understand why she was so powerful because she made up in her mind, this is not me that's going to get this done, but I'm going to hold to God's unchanging hand. And if God be for me, then I'll be able to help somebody else. And, and when you are converted, then strengthen your brother. So she said, God, I'm just going to hold on you. God, I'm just going to trust on you. And some of us have the same Herod Tubman testimony. If God don't get me out, I won't get out. If God don't see me through, I won't get through. If God don't make a way, the way won't be made. But that's not a bad place to be in. When you find out God is all you've got, you realize God is all you need. Let's, let, let's, let's put some scriptures behind this. Philippians 1 and 6. Being confident of this, that he who begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Maybe I can say it in a, in a song form. I don't feel no ways tired. I come too far. From where I started from. Nobody told me that the road would be easy. But I don't believe he brought me this far to leave me. I am confident of this very thing. He which began a good work in me. He's faithful to complete it. He brought me this far. He won't drop me now. He carried me this far. He won't lose me now. He going to see me through. He going to bring me out. He going to turn it around. He going to make a way. So I put my faith and my trust in God. Harriet Tubman, by all accounts, had no business putting her faith in an unseen, unknown God. But there was something she knew about him. Now faith is... The substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So even though it didn't look like she should trust, she knew I'm going to let God see me through. 
And some of y'all are in some bad situations, but I'm here to let you know God can see you through. God can bring you out. God can turn it around. God can fix it up. God can make a way. But will you put your trust in him? Now let me pause real quick and just jump on this for a second. Part of our problem is we got too many other things to turn to. I got God and unemployment. I got God and Netflix. I got God and a car and a house and a boyfriend I like to take me out to eat. See, many times, sometimes God has to reduce what you have so that you can't turn to nobody but him. But when you find out he's all you got and all you need, when you come out of that situation, you should never put another thing above him. I thank God for my car, but it can't go above my God. I thank God for my house, but it can't go above my God. I thank God for my family, but it can't go above my God. I thank God for this church, but y'all can't go above my God. My hope is in him alone. All right, let's, let, let, let's read Psalms 25, 1 and 2. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. Yes. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. It's interesting. I'm not so much going to fight my enemies. Now, because of spiritual warfare, we have the authority to fight some of our battles. But every now and then, there's some battles that we're just weak on. There's some stuff we just don't want to go through, just don't want to deal with. And here we can say, you can put your trust in God. Because not every battle is God asking you to fight for yourself. The Jehovah's Jehoshaphat stood up and said, listen, we're not going to have to fight this battle. God, God's going to step in and make a way. And I'm here to let you know in 2022, there's some stuff you're not even going to be fighting about. There's some stuff you're not going to pray about. Of course, you're going to be doing your normal prayer. But there's some stuff that's going to hit you. And what you're going to do, you're going to put it in God's hand. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. So David says, I put my trust in you. Don't let me be ashamed, God. Don't let my enemies triumph over me. Now, I have to, I've had to tell God the same thing because sometimes the devil's been in my ear telling me stuff. And I, and, and, and I must say about the devil, as dumb as he is, he is very persistent. And he is very persuasive. And if he keeps persisting and he keeps persuading, the thing that happens is you start doubting. But I'm saying, God, don't let what the devil said, don't let it come to pass. Don't. Don't let my marriage fail. Don't let my money fail. Don't let my ministry fail. Don't, God, I know the devil said I'm going to fail, but don't let it fail, God. God, stand up for me. I, I'm trusting in you. Yes, Got to say one other thing is that many times when you get into certain situations, the devil tricks a lot of people to run away from church because yes. you don't have time for church. Because if God was there, you wouldn't be going through this. So the last thing you need to do is go to church. So if God was with you, your marriage wouldn't be struggling. If God was with you, your money wouldn't be funny and your change wouldn't be strange. You wouldn't be laying up in the hospital. You wouldn't have COVID. The devil says all those things. But I'm here to let you know, with COVID, God is with you. In the divorce, God is with you. With no money, God is with you. He's always with you. And what you got to tell God is don't let my enemies triumph over me. In other words, don't let me die like this. All right, let's, let's read verse 3. And we'll move on. 
No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. I'm only going to focus on the first half of the verse. Actually, I was only going to quote uh, 25.3a, but the B clause, I, I seen something in that, but I'm going to hold that to the end. I'm, a, I'm only going to bring that up in the end. So put the whole verse up again. I'll read it again. No one who hopes in you, God, will ever be put to shame. That's what we're going to focus on. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. I'm going to hold that and I'm going to park it and bring that back up later. But the focus is no one who hopes in God will ever be put to shame. Now, and this is not my words. This is the Bible words. No one. That means nobody. That means you can guarantee, you can take it to the bank. No one who puts their hope in God will ever put to shame. All right. Put another picture up. Moving right along. Come on, somebody tell me who this is. That's old Rosa Parks. Come on, let's put up some Rosa Parks facts. Let's start with this. Rosa Parks was an activist in the civil rights movement who is best known for her role in the Montgomery bus boycott. She garnered national attention when on December 1st, 1955, she refused to give up her seat on the bus to a white passenger. Her arrest inspired a year-long boycott of the buses in Montgomery. And that's where we get introduced into Martin Luther King. It was Rosa's doing that brought Martin Luther King on the scene and in a prominent way. Rosa start off the firestorm known as the Civil Rights Movement and she, she's one of the people who outlived it, outlasted. She didn't die until much later in the 2000s and there were many presidents at her funeral and, and heads of state. She was an amazing woman. There's more, no, there's more about her than what we normally tell. She was more than just a person who didn't give up the seat. It was very calculated. She knew what she was doing. She was trying to make a difference. But let's look at the quote that she said. And this is what people don't try to bring up about her. Let's bring up the quote. Prayer and the Bible became a part of my everyday thoughts and beliefs. I learned to put my trust in God and to seek him as my strength. Rosa Parks, another woman who said, I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. Let's look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Would you read both of those, Mother Mitchell? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Let's go to 2 Corinth, uh, Chronicles 16, 9a. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. She says she prayed and read the Bible daily so that her thoughts would be right and she would gain strength after she put her trust in him. Here's something that she's letting us know. When you put your trust in him, doesn't mean you still won't have weak moments. But the weak can say I'm strong because I put my trust in him and since I put my trust in him, I'm depending on him to strengthen me. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on. So, who who is this? Say say it. That is Maya Angelou or Maya Angelou. Let's give some facts about Miss Maya. Here's some things about her. Maya Angelou was born in St. Louis and became a famous playwright, editor, and poet. She worked for both Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. during the Civil Rights Movement. She was the first black woman to conduct a cable car in San Francisco. 
She didn't speak for five years in her youth. Let me pause about this because this is very important. When she was five years old, she was molested by her mother's boyfriend. And finally, she said something, and somehow that boyfriend died. And in her mind as a five-year-old, she thought that her words killed him. So for five years, she did not speak. But in those five years, she read and studied, and she became the poet that we know her for based on the trauma that actually happened in her life. What you have to understand is when you have God, trauma cannot stop you in your tracks. Trauma can be turned around for something positive. Okay, so she didn't speak for five years in her youth. And then uh, put, put the uh, quote back up or the, the, the facts back up. Excuse me, we'll go back to the facts. So we're going to read the bottom of the facts. She spoke six languages and she wrote and directed several movies. Wait a second. A girl who did not speak for five years because she was molested, by the time she died, she had spoke six languages. Don't you tell me that something in your past can stop you from moving forward. Amen to that. All right, let's, let's put up her quote. I love this quote. Let's, let's put it up. I found that I knew not only that there was a God, but that I was a child of God. When I understood that, when I comprehended that, more than that, when I internalized that, ingested that, I became courageous, Maya Angelou. So how she switched from the silent girl who was molested to the place that she was a poet and the, one of the only poets to actually have her poetry uh, read amongst presidents. I believe it was President Clinton that, that her, po her poem was done. How did she go there? She caught hold of the revelation, I'm a child of God. She moved past the fact that God is real to the fact that God is my father. And she said, I ingested that. I got that, that. I got the revelation that I'm a child of God down on the inside. And then courage broke out in her. I'm here to tell you some of the reason why you're stuck in your trauma is you forgot whose you are. You are a child of the king. You are a child of the king. And once you know that courage springs forth in you, you drop your past and you move forward in your life. All right, let's, let's give us a couple of verses for that. Deuteronomy 31 and 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. Yes. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. The reason why I have courage, because I know who's with me, he won't leave me, nor will he forsake me. And then it says, don't be scared of them. Let, let me say it like we used to say it back in the day. Don't be scared. Don't be scared of the trouble. Don't be scared of the problems. Don't be scared of the demons and the devils. You've got to have courage. I'm a child of God. And God will not leave me lonely. And here's something that you need to understand. I am 45. My daughter Alana is 9 years old. If a 20-year-old man try to mess with Alana, you won't see Pastor Andre. You're going to see Dre. I will act a fool to protect my child. Now, if I would do that, what do you think about the God of the universe? You are his child. And when God steps in, he steps in on your behalf. Every demon in hell trembles because you are a child of the king. That ought to give you great courage no matter what you face. Let's read the next verse. 
the next verse that we have up. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Yes, it did not know him. All right, let's move on to the next picture. Put that picture up. Yell out who that is. Nelson Mandela. It's none other than Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela facts. Read a few facts. Here we go. Nelson Mandela was born on July 18th, 1918. There's something about them July babies. They're anointed. July 18, 1918. He was born in Transky, Africa. His nickname was Madiba. In school, Mandela studied law and became one of South Africa's first black lawyers. In 1964, Nelson Mandela was sentenced to life in prison. I should say wrongly sentenced to life in prison. He served 27 years of that sentence before being released in 1990. In 1994, he became the first black president of South Africa. So you mean he was in jail, in prison, wrongly for 27 years, was released in 1990, and for certain years, he was the president of the entire nation that stuck him in prison. It reminds me of the story of Joseph, who was stuck in prison, but when God raises you up, I, can't, I, can't, I don't care who's against you, when God puts you on top, everything will have to bow to the God that's in you. His, his, his life really impacted me. I read a book called A Long Walk for Freedom. One of the things that really shifted who I was as a person, it, I, I, began, I think I finished the book in 2009. Very interestingly, as I was there, I was on my job at Allison in Indianapolis. I was reading that book, and then I just said it out of faith. One day, I will preach in South Africa. I said it by faith, and didn't, didn't nothing happen. Nothing happened at all. Eight years later, 2017, I was called to preach in South Africa. And I had already preached the uh, the sermon. And it was interesting. The preacher said that was one of the best sermons he had ever heard in his life. God really anointed me in that place. And then on the next day, they took me, because the preacher knew that I liked Mandela. They took me to his old home and where he grew up. And it's a museum now. And I was walking in there, and it hit me. When I was in that home that eight years ago, I had prophesied and spoke that I would be there. I'm here to let you know there's some stuff that you said that looks like it's dead, but I'm here to let you know God doesn't let none of those seeds fall to the ground. And when you least expect it in the most un, uh, uh, in the most odd ways, God will bring it all to let, let, I, I got a little time. Let, let me tell you a little more about this story. What makes it so odd about that story? 2017, I had shoulder surgery, but I also had a chance to get a new home. And so I had shoulder surgery, bought a new home, and then I was supposed to be in Africa. Well, I when I got shoulder surgery, I had a little bit of sick leave money, but I didn't have everything I needed. And my mortgage, new mortgage, had doubled. And so I was thanking God, but by the time I flew on my trip, I had $150 in my bank account. Now, all the bills was paid, but when I got there, it wasn't no shopping and all that. I didn't have any. I didn't have anything. But it was okay. I, I was going to get paid in a week or so, so I just thank God that I made it. But it was a trip by faith because any little bad thing could happen, 
I would have been in trouble. And I, I had some stuff locked in savings. But I'm talking about access. I only had access to a $150 period. Now, me and the pastor, we had talked about that if I would buy my ticket to Africa and he would buy his ticket to Indiana, that then we would call it even. So I was not expecting an offering or anything. I was just glad to be there. And I was preaching hard and didn't have no money in the bank. I was eating the snacks at the hotel and the free water. I was taking advantage of everything. But I was content and I was happy. But after I got done preaching and after we had left the Mandela thing, they took us to, to one other place, I got a notification on my phone, a PayPal notification, and I was like, who's sending me money? And $1,000 came into my account. What I didn't know is that the pastor and his wife were so impressed by the message, they sold $1,000 to me on the spot. They didn't know how broke I was. But God knew, and God said, if you will go and serve me, I'll turn things all the way around. Now, guess what I did? I didn't go shopping either. I sent that money straight back to my account so I'd have it when I got home. But God knows how to just, just do things. And I, and I, I say that to say this. Sometimes when you're walking into your destiny, the devil keeps doing stuff to make you doubt it. But don't worry, God will keep overriding everything the devil does. So let, let, let's, let, let's get into his quote so I can keep us moving. No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin. Let me stop and say this. It was hard to pick a, a Nelson Mandela quote because he had so many amazing ones. But I chose this uh, because it, it really uh, rang out to me. No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background, or his religion. People must learn to hate, and if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love, for love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Nelson Mandela. Let's, let's see if we have any scriptures that can coincide with that. Let's look at 1 John 3.15. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. I, actually, you're, you're right. I quoted the wrong scripture. That's right, Psalm 33 and 5. Just read it again. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. So it's true that the earth is full of his love. So since the earth is full of his love, people actually have to be taught to hate. Now, our flesh does like hate sometimes more than love, but it's something that has to be taught to us because it doesn't come that natural. Let's look at 1 John 2, 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Let's go to 1 John 3.11. Yes, this is truth. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. John the Revelator is writing, this is an elementary uh, lesson. You've heard it from the beginning. We should love one another. It's so he was having to reteach, just like Nelson said, it has to be retaught. And that's what we try to do here is teach on the message of love. Let's look at verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil 
and his brothers righteous. The reason why you should keep loving when people are throwing things wrong at you is because they are operating out of their deeds. Their deeds are wrong. But when your deeds are righteous, you will follow the path of love. And love is the only way. Even Stevie Wonder said what the world needs now is love more love. Let's look at verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love no, the no, brothers. No, 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 you must have that wrong. We know we passed out of death into life because we can shout when the organ tunes up we real love. good. No, we can wear big hats we and love. fancy clothes. No, no, because of our denomination we and love. how we were baptized. No, because of our love. The world don't care how we were baptized. The world care who we love. Yes. Now, it may be important to us, but it can't be more important than our love. The world don't really care who you voted for, Tommy, if you can't love. So the church has to get back to the main message. And what Nelson says, if we teach love, it will drive out hate because love comes from God. And God is the one who created us. And so if we are taught right, we will lean to love. But if we let the world teach, hate's going to be what they teach. All right, let's let's uh, actually I didn't let you read the whole verse. Let's read the whole verse. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Mm, abides in death. That's real heavy. Let's, let's put up another picture. Let's keep moving. Who's this person? That's John Lewis. That's John Lewis in his older years. He passed away at 2020, but this is John Lewis in his older years. I'm going to talk about him in his younger years. So let's look up some John Lewis facts. It's a fact of he, he was Congress, became a congressman. Born in rural Alabama as a son of sharecroppers, Lewis first gained fame, at least in his hometown newspaper, by preaching a sermon at his family church before even turning 16. They, the world champions all these people, but they forget to tell us they had relationship with God. He was a preacher. John Lewis then embarked on an incredible life of what he called good trouble. All right, let's look on. Then at 25, Lewis helped lead the Selma to Montgomery March and suffered a fractured skull from a police officer on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. As they marched quietly and silently across that bridge, a policeman busted him in the head, and yet he turned and offered love. Let's look at his quote. I accepted the teaching of Jesus, not Allah. Not Buddha. I'm not mad at all them, but he said I was who I was because I accepted the teaching of Jesus. The way of love, the way of nonviolence, the spirit of forgiveness and reconciliation. The idea that hate is too heavy a burden to bear, which he's quoting from MLK. I don't want to go down that road. I've seen too much hate, seen too much violence, and I know love is a better way. John Lewis. Let's look at 1 John 3.15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Wait a second. If you say you know God and you're harboring hate, I'm here to let you know you've got a murderous spirit and you need to be taught to get out of hate and taught to get back in love because the Bible says you cannot have eternal life and be holding on to hate. Some folks think, I'm going to heaven. Heaven is my goal. No, it ain't. 
with all that hate in your heart, you need to get that junk out of your heart because God is love. Not just that God has love, God is love. And if God is inside of you, like he says, you ought to have some more love in you. Can I get an amen? Amen. Verse 16, read this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Wow, John, the revelator, began to tell us the highest level of love is when you lay down or you self-sacrifice for the betterment of other people. When you look behind me and see that cross, that is a symbol of the greatest self-sacrifice when he laid down his life for his brothers. But not just for his brothers, for every sinner of the entire world. I was thinking about it just the other day as I was praying to God. It just reminded of the fact that he took all of the world's judgment on him. The most heinous evil sins that we can think of. Have you ever read the newspaper and seen some crazy evil thing and it turns your stomach? He took that on him for us. He loved in that way. And so when it comes our turn, sometimes your love is going to cost you to lay down your life. Sometimes your love is going to cost you to erase everything you wrote on Facebook and don't hit sin. You done typed it out. Or, or per my last email, you had typed out something good and salty, but love told you, no, you don't need that. There's times I wanted to say stuff, but love said no. Love said not so. And once you learn to reduce yourself so that love can flow, that's when you're really moving in the power of God. And the reason why we do what we do now is because in the civil rights movement, somebody stood up and said, we're going to move in the way of nonviolence. We're going to move in the way of love. We're going to follow the teachings of Jesus. And we're going to overcome this trouble. We shall overcome. They sang it. They believed it. And yes, we don't have everything right. But they started something that we could do what we do now. And it started by the power of love. Power power of love. Here's the final picture we're going to put up. That's Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass Facts, another man that I've studied, learned about, enjoy. There's no way I could give him all the credit he needs in just a few facts, but let me just give you a few of them. Here's the first thing. Frederick Douglass was born into slavery in the late 1810s in Maryland. A slave master's wife taught Douglas to read when he was 12. Let me stop and uh, and share this, that she taught him to read not knowing it was wrong. She was a Christian woman, but her quote-unquote Christian husband, when she found when he found out what she was doing, she would teach all the kids. And so when she found this little slave boy, she started teaching him too, the ABCs, and he forbade his wife to ever teach her again. And because she was subservient, she listened to him. But she had just taught him just enough that what he would do, that he would go and he would take 
pages that were down in the gutter, and he would dry them off and read them and look at learn what she did. She taught him the alphabet, and he got far enough to figure stuff out. But they said the pages that he found the most were old pages of tattered Bibles. And so when he learned to read, he ended up learning to read the Bible because when God has a plan for your life, I don't care who tries to stop it. I don't care who tries to block it. God will find a way to get his word to you. And the founder of this church, Bishop Jimmy Clark Sr., was a man who didn't know how to read or write. But when God anointed him, the only thing he could read was the Bible. And the reason why we have this church is because he was able to read the Bible. I'm here to let you know, can nothing stop God from being on your side? All right, let's, let's go back to some facts from him. Slave master's wife taught Douglas to read when he was 12, and he escaped from slavery in his late teens. He mustered up the courage to run away in his late teens. He became a prominent voice in the abolitionist movement, which means the fight against slavery, and a confidant to several presidents, from going from not knowing how to read as a slave to standing before presidents. And here's something that you need to understand. People give Abraham Lincoln for credit for freeing the slaves, but it was Frederick Douglass in his ear that made him change his mind. Abraham was not always wanting to, to free the slaves. And when he finally decided he wanted to free the slaves, Abraham said out of his own mouth, I don't believe that blacks and whites can coexist. So his goal was to send all the blacks in America down to Haiti. And Frederick Douglass said, no, we built this country. Why should we have to go away? He implored him to, to change his mind. And over time, Abraham Lincoln began to see things Frederick's way. And the reason why is because they served the same God. And God began to speak to them, but it was Frederick's influence. He was not only the most prominent black man, he was the, one of the most prominent men of, he was one of the most famous men of that time. And he gave speeches. He did all kinds of things. And if you would study his speeches, he always quoted from the Bible because his heart was for God. All right. As we move to a close, let's give you a quote from Frederick Douglass. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial, and hypo hypocritical Christianity of this land, Frederick Douglass. He wasn't mincing words. He wasn't hiding. Somebody said, where was the church when slavery was going on? There was somebody standing up telling the truth. He's like, "I did this fake Christianity y'all got where you can beat folk and rob folk and steal from folk and rape folk and then come into the, uh, the church house and sing how great thou art. The devil is a lie. You need to get your heart right. You need to get your life right. You need to get your mind right. And Frederick got up and said it. And don't you ever be afraid, whether you're black, white, rich, or poor, whatever color you are, don't you be afraid to tell another Christian when you're living foul, when you're living wrong. Paul stood up to Peter's face and told Peter, you're being a hypocrite because when you was here before and when the people came down, you were celebrating with them. But now that the other folk are here, you playing two-faced. And Paul confronted him to his face. Don't be afraid to confront another brother because how will we make Christianity move in the right direction? If we all get so, oh, well, we got to go along to get along. No, the devil is a lie. If you lying, I got to talk to you about it. If you beating your wife and then coming to church and lifting your hands, put them beating hands down and get yourself right. 
so we can do the will of God. And I thank God for a Frederick Dulles who would cry loud and spare not. If you study some of his, his speeches, he was a tough fella. He got beat up for it. Guess what? The first time he got cracked in the head outside of being a sl uh, slave for his uh, speeches was in Pendleton, Indiana. Good old Indiana. Came to Indiana and began to give one of his speeches against slavery. And there was a mob set up waiting for him. And they cracked him and busted him in his head. Good old Indiana. We, 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 we're known for a lot of stuff. But we also known for our racism. But I'm here to let you know we're cutting a knife through that foolishness and we're preaching the love of God. All right, let's let's get the verses so we can get out of here. First John 3 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in That's truth. That's all Frederick Douglass said. Let's let, let's not love and talk. Let's put some actions behind our love. Don't tell me you love me and you can smack me in my face. Don't tell me you love me and you can put your foot on my neck. Don't tell me you love me and you don't care what I'm going through. If you love me, stand beside me and help me live this life. Help me fight. Help me be the man or the woman I need to be. Don't turn your, your eye blind when I'm going through trouble. Yeah. That's not just love in word and, and talk, but in deed and truth. Love in action. Verse uh, 1 John 4, 7. Read that. 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Well, we've already quoted. Let's look at 1 John 4, 20. Bring it on. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. You run around talking about the devil is a liar. No, you a liar. If you say you love God and you can't get along with your brother and sister, as they say, that's the book. Go ahead, read. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Much as I love God, I've never seen him in his physical form. But I see you all the time. So if I see you, Tommy, at Lowe's and I duck so I don't have to speak to you, something's something wrong with me. Now, maybe my breath was thinking that I didn't want you to expose you to that. That's, maybe I have a legitimate reason, but if I do it because I'm full with hate, I can't come in here and lift my hands to God and act like I love God when I can't love you. Amen. Verse 21, and this is our final verse. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. John didn't say he's given us this suggestion. Command. He's given us this command. See, we, we focus on the Ten Commandments, but after the cross, the Ten Commandments shifted to this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, I give you a new commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. If we can do that, then we're having some trouble. Biblical Black History, Part 2. That's it. Amen. Come on, put your hands together. Let's, let's rise to our feet. I hope you caught the shift in the theme. Even though we were talking about black history, we begin to shift toward the focus of love. Because everybody's history is important, and the only reason why histories will be squashed and not talked about is when we don't walk in love. All right, let's bow our heads and pray. Father God.
we do thank you. We do thank you for being the creator of this universe. We thank you for putting breath in all of our bodies, God. We thank you for making us who we are and where we come from, God. We thank you for our skin tone, our ethnicity. But more than anything, we thank you for our relationship with you through your son and his blood. And God, we're praying that the church, the entire body of Christ, will get back to that center point of love. That a love revival would break out in the kingdom of God. That will change lives and cause men to say, what must I do to be saved? Now, Father God, if there's anybody here under the sound of my voice as well as online that does not know you, that's never said, what must I do to be saved? God, let the love of God that's in this moment flow to them and touch their heart and let them say these precious words. Father God, I'm nothing but a sinner. But God, you can save me through your son. With your grace and mercy, reach me, clean me, love me. And I'll serve you to the day I die. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Much love to you. You are dismissed.